We all have memories as kids of trying to lie our way out of consequences. I remember scrambling through lies as a 10-year-old to try and prevent a grounding from my mother, and now as a parent I can see my actions in almost a laughable light. However, we all have more recent and thus more painful memories of trying to cover our mistakes or escape their consequences as adults. This week, we study two stories dealing with sin and consequence, and we'll pull from them both the wrong and the right way to find protection and progress. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We get to study this week in Genesis 6-11 through and Moses 8. And I'm extra excited because we're studying about Noah's Ark. Probably... It's hard to say what your favorite story is, but Noah's Ark, I mean, is there anything that's been made more toys of, more movies of, more anything of than this story? Um, It had me thinking this week, actually, as we have been studying, how I think some of my two, specifically two of my favorite movies um, are stemmed from this story. And I told Zach that they made my top 10 and then I kind of changed it to my top top 25 movies because he's always making me make lists of like, what's your favorite this and your favorite this? And I'm always like, ah, I don't know. I have a hard time pinning down my favorites, but these movies might make my top 10, maybe for sure my top 25, but they're both stories that are um, spinoffs of the Noah's Ark story. And the first one is Evan Almighty which Steve Carell, Morgan Freeman, it's just good. I love the way that they put it into this modern day um, twist of the story and really represents, I feel like for me, I love it because it represents the struggle of what it probably felt like to be Noah building this crazy big arc and doing what God tells you. Anyway, such a fun, such a fun show. The other one was um, The Noah with Russell Crowe. And this was, what do you think? We should have looked it up, but it's... Seven years ago, six, seven years ago or something. Yeah, ten something. It's a little more raw. It is, well, definitely more raw. It's not a comedy. But it, um, for me, I know that there was a lot of, like, as I talked to people about this, I know there was a lot of kind of um, negative feedback. But for me, it just... I loved the rawness of the story. I felt like it represented a lot of sides of this that maybe we don't think about very much. So anyway, just a way to get you thinking. Maybe you want to watch a movie this week about (laughs) Noah's Ark. Um, But really such a rich story that has been told for so many years. And so many of us love this story. And then we get to study the Tower of Babel too. I think that the pairing of these stories, which I've never thought of before, mm-hmm. um, maybe you have. No, this not until I've studied this time, yeah. Um, I, I like that we get to study them together. I think it was a unique thing for us, and we're excited about what some of the things that we found as we put these two stories together and dived in, dove, dived into the, sto- the study this week. 
Well, I like, you know, those movies obviously aren't trying to be historically accurate. They're trying to entertain. But I do like that they point out um, whatever criticisms we may have about representations of biblical stories in media, they at least force us to accept the idea that these are real people. And whether it's the way Russell Crowe portrays Noah or not, uh, Noah was an individual. He did live in a community and he did build an ark and that ark would have been a monumental undertaking and would have been heavily criticized by people around him. And Noah's a person that you, you were talking before. We Noah builds this ark, but they get off the ark and he lives for 300 more years. And so... Lives a normal life. Well, semi-normal. He lives 600, 300 years. Yeah. Most of us don't live that long. But, but he's got a life. He's a person. It's very true. I think that's why I appreciate whether they, like we know they are not historically accurate, but I think that's why I appreciate depictions of Bible stories or old stories like that so much is because I love to the humanity that is... Yeah laced into those stories. Well, and it helps us as we study because, of course, the power in Scripture is is not just to read it, but to experience it, to put ourselves in the story. These are stories about people and their interactions with God. And that's what we're hoping to do is have interactions with God. And so as we put ourselves in the story, um, it helps us to pull out the things that might be most applicable for us. So as we studied this week, we were looking specifically at this pairing, as you mentioned, between Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel. And uh, it's interesting to put these two together because they they point out, I think comparing them points out some powerful truths that help us discern how to respond to our own mistakes or the influences of the world around us. And just to flesh that out a bit, at the beginning of Genesis 6, verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and a perfect and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. If you remember our study a couple of weeks ago, that's the exact description that was given to Enoch, someone that walked with God. And if you go to Moses chapter 8, uh, that description of Noah's walk with God and his efforts to try and teach and preach the people was much is much in much more rich detail there. But then verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his, his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the earth, uh, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So story number one, the people are in de- direct contradiction to God's commandment to love him and to love each other. If you remember our study from last week, that's the thing that pained God and and Enoch so much that they wept, was that these people that God had created, these children of his, uh, sought only violence and destruction against each other. And of course, God's purpose in creating an earth and creating people is life. And so the first story, people are pushing against that commandment to love and to give life. And we'll see Noah chosen uh, specifically because he wants to keep life. Then in chapter 11, uh, verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And then verse 4, they said, Go, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, we get caught up here because we focus on the top of the tower reaching into heaven, and we have, uh, I think, 
for years, I learned it as a primary kid, we have said that the story is, oh, they were trying to build a tower to get into heaven. Um, if you look at, you can find what archaeologists believe this tower actually was. If you just search, it's called a ziggurat. So if you look it up, you can see actual depictions. This is not a tall tower. It's not one single tower that, you know, they tried to build into the clouds. It's, it's a fortress. It's this giant walled fortress with a tower in the middle, as most of the, the buildings of that day did have. Uh, but the, the description of the tower being high is just a description of size. They wanted to build something that was massive and huge. And the reason why isn't necessarily because they wanted to get into heaven. It's because, in verse 4, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted their own name. They did not want to be subject to God's rule. They wanted their own rule. And they did not want to be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And if you remember, the very first commandment God gives to man is to multiply and replenish the earth, to spread. And so again, we have a story of people directly contradicting things that God has commanded them to do. And as we look at these two stories and compare them, I think there's some powerful truths in there that will help us uh, navigate our way through our own mistakes and through uh, the mistakes we might find in the world. In one story, Noah and his family is honored for the choices they make. And in the story of Babel, uh, the people are are not cursed, but confused or, or confounded for the choices they make. And so as we look at the stories and compare them, I think we can pull some powerful truths for us. And of course, our goal each week with our podcast is to help you find answers in your scriptures that are personal to you and that will help you. But what we did this week to kind of frame this study is just studied the very basic questions of these two of comparing these two stories. And so I'm going to start out with the first of basic question is the what. What are they building? Now, this is pretty obvious, right? Noah was building an ark. And we know that the people in Babel were building the tower that Zach just described for us, which was helpful for me. Maybe you are some, I, I really thought that was a pretty basic teaching, um, was that they were building a tower to heaven, which always kind of confused me actually, because it was like, wait, they were trying to do something good. They just were misinformed, which many of us are. So it's fine. But anyway, so what are they building an ark and a tower? And then I found something else that I, I really liked because Maybe this gets left out, but that wasn't the only thing that Noah built in this story. And you'll read in verse, in chapter 8, this is verse 20, but after they get off the ship and that they let the animals out, Noah then built an altar to the Lord. And I liked that addition because we don't ever get that necessarily said in the same sentence that Noah built the ark to the Lord, but that's essentially what he was doing. He built the ark because the Lord asked him to, and he built the altar because he was building it unto the Lord and the Lord told him to. Um, he offered sacrifices that were already prepared that the Lord told him to prepare when he asked that the two by two animals, he also asked him to bring these extra animals. And that is in, in chapter seven, verse two, that he is asked to take, and I'm quoting now, to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female of all clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and a female. 
and seven pairs male and female of the birds in the sky. I just thought this was kind of a cool thing for me to learn. This was new to me this time um, that with this study that there were more than just two animals and that they were prepared so that specifically Noah could build this altar and offer thanks and sacrifice um, to show gratitude to God for preserving them and for allowing him to continue on in this way. And so I think that that's an important question to ask as we start to build anything or as we start to figure out how to repent and turn more to the Lord is what are we building? What are we trying to build? And then what our intention is. So maybe that would be the why question to that is why are we building something? Um, Noah repeated a few times throughout this is we learn of Noah's obedience and this was really why Noah was building something because he knew that the Lord wanted him to do this. Um, Zach already read the verse about him finding favor with the Lord but I like this in chapter 6 verse 22 and Noah did this he did everything that God had commanded him. So for Noah his why or his intention for what he was building all along was obedience and to do what God wanted him to do. And I think this is kind of a cool part of the story um, as we put a little bit of humanity into Noah is to think that we learn that he lived hundreds of years after this incident and life just went on probably pretty normal for him after this. But what he did leave behind is that this legacy of obedience and faith and this great story that for now thousands of years later we're still learning from and he teaches us his the why and his intention is simply obedience and I think that's really great as we're building anything to remember that. Well I like also what it is to which Noah is being obedient. We already mentioned uh, that the people as it says in chapter 6 were filled with violence, uh, their focus is on hatred and destruction. It's interesting to notice for me, or it was interesting to notice for me in chapter 7, uh, verse 23, that the whole point of everything coming into the ark, and maybe this is a duh statement, but uh, was for things to, as it says at the bottom of verse 23, remain alive. Noah, his family, and everything he brings into the ark. Um, so God's commandment, God's purpose was to keep things alive. And these people with their violence and their hatred uh, were contrary to that purpose, which I think helps frame the, the, the story of Noah a little bit more, I don't know, clearly for me, it helps understand why God did what he did, why he caused or allowed this flood because his purpose is to create an earth whereon things can live and thrive and grow, where there can be love. And Noah is attuned to that vision and obedient to the commandments uh, built to support it. Um, and so I, I think it's not just that Noah was obedient, but he was obedient to that great vision. And I don't know, that, that, that stood out to me. Well, in a word that stuck out to me this time was the word corrupt. I think that, I don't know, I just have never thought of it in this way in reading. I usually think that I've only ever used that word in like a business went corrupt or someone went corrupt or I tried to use it in my 
poems that I wrote in first grade because I <laughs> thought it was a funny word. Anyway, um, but I thought that was an interesting reading into it. And this is in chapter 6, verse 12. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. And as we think about maybe going back a little bit to last week and talking about Zion and how we need to turn to the Lord, I just was reading that and thinking, you know, this is really them turning the opposite direction, turning away from the Lord, not turning toward him. And so thinking of that twist to the story of... um what that word might mean and what the earth looked like, I think is kind of interesting. Well, I like those, that point. I like those questions. What are we building and why are we building it? Is our purpose to align with the vision that God has for us? Or is it somewhat corrupted? Is it twisted? Is it misunderstood? And the question that I asked uh, kind of builds off of that one. It was the question of how. In both stories, there's a description of how they built what they were building. And one detail that is comparable is uh, this. In 11 verse 3, it says about the Tower of Babel that they used slime for mortar. And the translation of that word uh, is it's a substance called bitumen, which I wasn't familiar with. I had to look it up, which says... A black, vicious mixture of hydrocarbons obtained naturally or as a residue from petroleum distillation. Anyway, what I understood it to be is it's something that's waterproof. They're using a mortar and protecting their city with something that keeps water out. Now, this is just uh, speculation. But there have been some biblical scholars that have said the big sin of the Tower of Babel is that they're not only trying to build a city that makes a name for them, they're trying to build a city that is impervious to any of God's actions. In other words, a city that cannot be flooded again. We're going to build this so big and so tall that if there's ever a flood again, we will be escaped from it, protected from it, and therefore we can do whatever we want. And there's a hint at that when the Lord comes down in verse 6 and says they have all one language and this they begin to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Um, That contrasts with the mortar, if you will, that Noah uses on the ark or that he's commanded to use on the ark. So this is chapter 6 verse 4. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And the word there is much more uh, meaningful than the word for slime. Uh, The word there is translated as pitch only one time in the Old Testament, and it's here in this story. Over 70 other times this word is used, it's kepar or kepor, and it's atonement. It's the word used to mean covering. And so... As Noah builds his ark, he's commanded by the Lord to do something that is extremely symbolic, and that is to cover it or protect it with something that symbolizes the Lord's atonement. And so to compare these two stories, in one place, we have a people who's trying to protect or insulate themselves from God's actions with their own ingenious efforts. In another place, it's the same desire, protection, and safety But instead of turning away from the Lord and trying to invent a way to do it on their own, 
they're turning to the Lord, and He is providing the protection. A couple of weeks ago, I was studying the story of Adam and Eve with some seminary teachers, and one of them pointed out this awesome insight that in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had transgressed, they make themselves fig leaves. And then a little bit later on, the Lord makes for them a coat of skins to cover them. And I think that's indicative of the way that we often respond to mistakes. Uh, The temptation within us is to protect ourselves, to insulate ourselves, to invent some kind of protection where we don't have to admit or we don't have to work on the problem that has come up. Uh, The Lord, however, his answer to us or his response to us is, I will protect you. I provide the covering. I provide the atonement. And if you'll turn to me and open up and be, uh, be connected with me, then I will insulate you. I will protect you. I will cover you or I will atone for you. And so I like that as we look at our own efforts at recovering from mistakes or dealing with problems. Uh, Am I turning to the Lord and seeking his protection or am I turning away and trying to invent my own? Well, I love that insight for a couple reasons. And the first just simply being that I think it's a great um, example of finding Jesus in the Old Testament, how great it is to learn that. And I think that's one of the goals that we have this year with the Old Testament study is seeking him in these in these stories. And then the second reason is just the results that we see from these two stories. The result from the obedience that we see in Noah is that his family finds a family and Noah find favor with God and we see the blessings that come from that and then versus the story of the Tower of Babel we see that confusion that comes when we try and cover ourselves in the wrong way um and we couldn't help but think about a story that we recently had happen in our family which will now go down in history as the gingerbread mystery gingerbread gate <laughs> a little a little bit of a family one of those stories that lives on forever, but we had um, a gingerbread house that I had put kind of special candy on. They were the little rock candy that I was saving specifically for a gingerbread house. And so I told my kids not to eat it. And lo and behold, we look at it a couple days later and literally all of the rock candy had been eaten off and we couldn't get any of our kids to confess. Um, to this and we weren't like shaming them into this we were really using trickery too like we'll pay you if you tell us (laughs) we just wanted to know we were using all methods involved so it wasn't just the fact that they were worried that we were going to be so mad it was just more like that this was turning entertaining finally we now know who it is Uh, literally like two months later we finally figured out who someone did confess to it but I just you know the lesson for our kids and for us is that When we try and cover up, you know, the kids were inventing like it was this person, it was this person or inventing stories and we're covering, we're covering in all the wrong ways. And we all know how that feels. You tell one little lie like, oh, I'm not the one that ate the gingerbread candy. And it turns into a bigger story and a bigger story and bigger things that we need to cover when in contrast, when we're covering ourselves with Jesus which means we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with God, and we're using the right means to cover up things, you know, quote unquote, cover up. Um, It makes everything feel so much better and so much simpler. So moral of the story, don't eat the rock candy, 
Or I guess the better moral is if you do eat the rock candy, don't lie about it. Before we end, we want to give one connect idea, one way to, if you're studying this with others or teaching a class, a potential idea. Uh, and one of them that I think is really fascinating is with the comparison of the two stories, you have two different ways that people were either protected from uh the flood or tried to protect themselves from the flood. Two different ways that people were protected from consequences. In the first, God provides a way and uh, and it's honored by him and it keeps Noah and his family alive. In the second story, people create their own way and therefore the result is confusion. Um, one of the things I think is really helpful in teaching people, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, is if you can help people step into the story so that they are the people and see the commonalities between what's happening there, what's happening in their own life. And one of the ways to do that is at the beginning of a study, if you're teaching a seminary lesson or a Sunday school lesson or just leading a family study, we often overload the beginning of our lessons or our studies with contextual information. We want to talk about the story. The problem is, is that a lot of times overdoing the story leads to boredom or disinterest. So what you want to do is you're looking at a, at a story like this, and this is a great example because there's a lot of details you could share, is what are the details in the story that are similar to the details in our own life? And that helps filter through not just sharing everything, but sharing only those things that can help magnet our attention to the scriptures. Again, what are the details in the story that are relevant to or connected to the details of my own life? What's happening here that's also happening in my life or in the life of my students? Thank you for studying with us this week. We hope that you have a wonderful experience on your own study, and we'll see you next episode.